I approached it as like as scientifically as I could. So I'd do something. I would take notes on what happened. I would make one change, take notes on what happened, take, you know, and that I learned a lot like that. And it's such a huge learning curve because there's so much you need to learn to machine successfully, like speeds and feeds, tooling choices, fixturing your actual tool paths. Like there's just this mountain of stuff and it's so overwhelming. But if it, I, I broke it down kind of, I'd make one change at a time. And so I'd be there all night to machine a block with holes in it. Welcome to the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast, where we uncover the stories behind successful machine shops and their owners. By interviewing current and former shop owners, we dig deep to unveil their secrets of success and the struggles and challenges they've overcome on their paths to building thriving shops. We aim to elevate how important the machining industry is and inspire others by highlighting why owning a shop can be a great vehicle to creating jobs, stimulating the economy, and creating wealth. Here's our host, former machine shop owner himself, Paul Van Meter. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Machine Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Paul Van Meter, and today it is a true pleasure to share the story of a very interesting guy, uh, Nick Priest uh, from Priest Machining and Assembly uh, in Colorado. Nick is and his brother are basically machine shop owners that learned how machining works, how uh, basically the whole thing of starting a shop from YouTube. Like they are young guys, uh, got super interested in learning about machining from watching videos online and decided ultimately to make the plunge to buy a machine, uh, start doing some little project work and ultimately grew into the company they have today. They're still a pretty young company. Uh, we kind of went off script. The normal questions I normally ask, we didn't really get into that many of them, but it's just such a fascinating journey. I genuinely appreciate his candor about what it's been like uh, to grow his shop, his humility about making mistakes and learning along the way. I think he sets an incredible example for all of us for what a true leader um, looks like when it comes to these areas. So I know you'll get a ton out of this. Um, it's a really fun conversation. So without further ado, let's go in and chat with Nick. Well, howdy, Nick. How's it going? I'm so glad to uh, finally be here on on the show with you. We've been planning this for a little while, but uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I, we were talking before, and I I really appreciate the opportunity, and hope I can give back uh, as much oh, as I, your other guests. I have so. no doubt whatsoever you will in spades. So this is going to be a different kind of conversation because you are pretty new in your shop. Mostly, I. I interview, you know, shop owners that have had their shops for 10, 20, 30 years or more kind of thing. But, um, but I'd love to start by um, you sharing your story with how you got interested in machining in the first place. Sure. How you decided to start a shop, just what the last few years have looked like for you. Yeah. So I would actually like to go a little further back because it's all really entwined for me, how I started, actually started the shop and got interested in machining. Um and uh, so I, I yeah. my name is Nick, and I, I started the shop in 2018. Um, and tell us the shop name. just uh, Priest Machining and Assembly. Okay. And where um, are you located? And we're in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Um, awesome. And uh, basically, prior to that, I had never stepped foot really in a machine shop. Um, 
before my own. And so basically um, right out of high school, I was a tradesman, started installing windows, started doing trim. And um, one kind of interesting thing is everybody that I worked for was self-employed. Like I never worked for a big company. And so I kind of got this idea in my head that that's just what you do is you just start a business, get an LLC, get some insurance and you're in business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that started. But um, finding out about machining as a tradesman, I was like super into tools and just started YouTube in it and found a, a guy who was taking apart a drill. And then he had a bridge port. And I remember just being like mind blown that he's just shredding this material and it's the chips are flying. <laughs> And I had to find out more about this. And so I started my like YouTube uh, spiral a little bit and found um, guys like NYC, CNC and sure. John Saunders. And then um, it sparked an interest for me to go back to school. And so about when I, uh, when I was 20, I went back to college and went to community college and got all my classes done um, that you can get done at community college. And uh, kind of convinced myself that I wouldn't get accepted to university. Um, I was going to do a engineering, uh, electrical engineering, um, and kind of thought, well, this is as far as I can go. I didn't really realize that transferring is super common. Doesn't matter how bad of a student you were in high school that you do right. well in community college, you can transfer right to university, no problem. Yeah. Um, but I thought there's just no way I'm going to get accepted because, and there's nothing left for me to do at community college. Like I've taken all the mm -hmm. classes. Got it. And so that summer um, basically was buying tools at a estate sales machinist tools and um, bought my first little mill and put it in my mom's garage. And it was a shop task. I don't know if you're familiar with those. I'm not familiar. They're like super hobbyists. Basically, they've got a, a mill head and then a lathe all in one machine. And then the. Oh, yeah, sure. Something like that. And um, and then. Uh, basically decided I'm not getting accepted to university. So I'm just going to go for it and start my own engineering company, basically. At what age are you at this point? I am 22, just about okay. to turn 23. Okay. And so I, I found um, some really old stuff and a really niche spot. Um, and uh, the spot is niche because basically it's really hard to rent. And so mm -hmm. the rent's super cheap. Um, you had to, when we first started, you had to go through one or two other businesses just to get to our front door. Okay. Like you had to go through their garage. <laughs> sure. And so it was like, all right, I'm going to try this for six months. <laughs> right. And um, that's, that's essentially how it started. I bought a Miltronics. Um, okay. I think it was a VMC 16 okay. and a bed lathe or an engine lathe and mm -hmm. um, was planning on just taking on uh, engineering projects. And that, and then I started doing a lot of machining. Uh, how did you start getting the work? So I thought it'd be a lot. So I had an LLC when I was um, doing a uh, trim, like I was doing handyman and basically work would just like flood to me. I'd put a post out on next door or Facebook and people would be like, Hey, I need you to come fix my fence. I need you to come fix my door. Just a ton of work. And I was expecting the same. And that's not what happened. What happened was um, <laughs> basically it's not the only the general public that needs machining. It's businesses that need. Machining, well, right? well, and at first we weren't selling machining. We were selling like R and D services. Oh, okay. So and so we were not the just general public to the, well, and it was to the general public. And then we quickly found out that like, this isn't going to work out well. Cause I remember this one project. It was like the biggest project we had at the beginning. They gave me uh, like $10,000 to try to, focus on a project. And then we did it all. And it turns out there was just no way it was going to work with their form and function. And 
and it was kind of crushing to kind of be like, yeah, you're going to have to change your life's goal, your dream to right. actually do, you know what I mean? And then they don't have sure. enough money to actually bring it to market. Mm, it was kind of hard. Yeah. And so, but we started doing a lot of machining at that same time. Um, okay. Yeah. So that, that's how the shop was pretty much founded. And then uh, we had a couple lucky breaks, I guess. <laughs> that, Tell us about those. So basically there was, um, it, I was coming at it from like an engineering perspective. Like what I do is I solve problems, not so much machine parts. Mm -hmm. And um, we're getting towards the end of my lease. So I, I was trying to be a little less risky. And so I only signed a six month lease. And mm -hmm. I thought like worst case, like I'm 22, just call it quits. And at this point, I actually did get accepted to see you. So I'm, I'm a student as well at this time. Okay, Got it. Um, and so I did a another year and a half of schooling at CU while I was doing the shop. Got it. And um, so I thought, well, worst case, I'll just call it quits and be an academic, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, a customer walked in. So I didn't know it at the time, but there were actually two machine shops next door to me. And uh, basically a customer had started at the first one, went to the second one and then ended up at mine. And each one of those customers told them like, oh, we're not touching this project. Okay. And um, I was like, I'll touch it. <laughs> and it was actually, um, and I can share this now. Um, have you ever seen the ceramic speed bike? They did a, a chainless bike, um, world's okay. most expensive bike. Um, got a ton of publicity around this, this bicycle. I did not see that. And we did That's all the cool machining though. for it at the beginning there. And uh, oh, basically wow. I approached it. That's when I learned how to machine was essentially on that project. On that job. And they didn't know that at the time. <laughs> they just, okay. <laughs> I had a mill, so they were like, okay, he's he said yes, so we'll just see if anything happens, you know. Right. And wow, uh, that's awesome. That's how that's how it kind of spiraled there. And I, I approached every project after that as okay, we're happy to take on projects other shops don't want, mm -hmm. which tend to be really hard in some way. And mm -hmm. we are basically I was committed to basically getting the project done, win, draw, or lose. Right. And so there was a lot of that at the in the first year two years. So each project was just a massive learning opportunity for you. Really, So much. Yeah. It, I, there were just so many small learning opportunities. I remember um, finding out about helicoils. My mind was just, <laughs> mine was blown, you know, Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. all these things that you would take for granted if you even worked for a year in a shop, you know? Right. Wow. No. So basically just to summarize, like a hundred percent, like educated on YouTube just enough 100%. to be dangerous yeah. and be cocky that you can just buy a machine and jump into this. I, I wasn't trying. I like basically I had, um, but that's bold. maybe not cocky, but bald, like just like it, the guts to do it. Right. Most it kind of is. That. But at the same time, my whole mentality was like, I'm going to buy the things that I love. So like, I also bought, um, like high voltage power supplies and, and vacuum units to just, cause these are things that I was interested in and playing with. Uh -huh. on my own, you know? Love and it. so I kind of viewed this as that, like, I'll, I'm going to buy all these. I'm going to, and it was kind of low risk. Like you could do what I did with under 10, $15,000. Right. Um, and uh, including like the lease, the machines, sure. you know, you can find stuff in that range. And so it's not like I, I went out and bought a top of the line mill and was like, I'm just going for it. Sure. It was more like, sure. here's a kind of a cool mill. Should I buy it and try to learn it? And it was, uh, 
Man, it was a mess. Like I was in that machine every other week, taking it apart, replacing parts. I had to convert it from a floppy disk to a USB emulator so I could put my fusion code into it. And then I, wow. at some point had to learn how to run from, um, is it DNC? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that way you can have more yep. memory. Dirt feed, yep, directly. And, yeah. you know, so I learned a lot on that machine. I got a lot of crashes out of my system on that machine. And <laughs> And most yeah. of this learning was just like pulling up YouTube and just like seeing if you can find people's videos on, on this kind of stuff or. Yeah. A lot of it was, and I approached it as like as scientifically as I could. So I'd do something, I would take notes on what happened. I would make one change, take notes on what happened, take, you know, and that I learned a lot like that. And it's such a huge learning curve because there's so much you need to learn to machine successfully, like speeds and feeds, tooling choices, fixturing, your actual tool paths. Like there's just this mountain of stuff and it's so overwhelming, but if it, I, I broke it down kind of, I'd make one change at a time. And so I'd be there all night to machine a block with holes in it. Right. And, um, wow. Yeah. I love that approach. Yeah. That changing <laughs> one variable and just seeing what the effect is, what changes. And now that's how our shop works. That's how everything works. And, um, and we try our best to document those things that way we can save it and spread it across our shop. Wow. Okay. So let's fast forward. Um, so what year was that just for people's context, what year was this that you were starting? starting that was 2018. Year? That was like the summer of 2018. And so we're in, we're coming up on our fifth year in August. Well, this will okay. be our fifth year. Right. And so what is, uh, what does your shop look like today? Machines, people. Shop looks like today we have, um, six employees, um, including myself, we have four vertical mills, um, and uh, a lathe with live tooling, subspindle, mm -hmm. y-axis, all that. Um, and then we have a five-axis CMM, which we absolutely love. Uh, we are obsessed with that side of things. Um, right. And uh, and what we would say is we about fifty percent of our work is what we'd call high-risk parts. Um, the other fifty percent is probably um, what we would call low-volume production, mm -hmm. meaning it's not like prototype like just get me something. I want to see if this works. Um, right. But it's onesie twosies. Right. Got it. Got it. And um, what, what are the industries you serve most? Um, we do a lot of aerospace, a lot of defense, um, a lot of medical automation um, and uh, semiconductor. Those would be those. Do you specialize in any particular materials? We, not really. We basically try to tell our customers that we, specialize in hard parts and so we do a lot of about so high risk for us means um that the brick of material like a a two three foot brick of titanium three inches thick that wouldn't scare us at all like we would bid on that project um okay. and so we would bid on that project stainless titanium invar we would absolutely tear into a piece of material that size right um and then uh, aluminum of course we sure yeah wow that those are you mentioned some hard some hard materials there big we love materials. that we it's just a we love it you know <laughs> well i would imagine tying it back to your comment from earlier the only way you could get good at invar and titanium is to change one variable at a time and see yeah. how it goes because yeah those things can be messy and they can yeah they absolutely can and you have to be kind of scientific about it and um, luckily we've had the opportunity to to try it on a couple on, on a much smaller scale and then that went well so our customers put um you know put us up to another challenge and then it, it kind of grows into this 
scenario we're taking on parts that are two or three weeks at a time. Right. Wow. And have you, how have it's just continued this, the work you're getting, is it just continued to be just network word of mouth referrals from other people or it started off that way at the very beginning. I, um, I made a website with the intention of, um, so I, I had a couple scenarios where people would come to my shop and it was basically, I don't want to say it was embarrassing, but you could see like the look on their face of like, okay, this isn't, this wasn't what we were looking for. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I'm a one man shop, dirty, dirty machines, sure. nothing newer than 30 years old. Um, and I, I could like see that look on their face. So um, I put a lot of time into the website thinking that like, I need to, kind of present myself as a shop that can take on these challenges. Sure. And, um, and luckily it, that kind of was a good investment. So we've actually at this point put a lot into our website um, and it's grown a lot over the last five years. And um, so that would be our biggest source of new customers at the moment. Uh, but at so the beginning, it was a lot of, we got one engineer to like us and then they went somewhere else. And, right. and that was the, the trend. So with your website, are you just focused on sort of just organic SEO and just trying to make your website, you know, come up on search results? And so people exactly. Yeah, we're working you. on, um, you know, we're, we're a small shop really early on. So there's a budget to everything. Um, sure. You know, people that want to do SEO for you, it's really expensive. So we're kind of yeah. bootstrapping it and doing it ourselves. We paid to have uh, the website built because I couldn't do that as well as someone else. But sure. Um, in terms of writing content, I'm trying to update content. Uh, my goal this year was once a month. I've kind of missed a month. Um, so we're mm -hmm. trying to do blog posts. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just trying to rank. And then the other part of that is really just trying to present a professional uh, website. So that way, when someone comes across it, it's representative of our work. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to be able to essentially show off what we can do before people get there. Um, not in terms of pictures of parts, but. Right. And then tell us, so you must have, have you done the same thing with your actual shop itself? Like you've oh, absolutely. equipment and yeah. share, share that journey, you know, of sort of well, up, upgrading from your first, you know, yeah. mill turn so, thing to. Uh, so uh, this must have been like 2019 and I, um, my lease, I think I signed it one more time for six months and my lease was just about ready to end. And I remember having this conversation with myself, like, okay, do I want to do this? If so, I need a new machine because this other machine is just not working out mm -hmm. um, and decided that that's what I was going to do. So I sold my truck and took that as a down payment for uh, um, for a VF2. And mm -hmm. um, and so then this thing shows up and it was so shiny. I was so proud of this machine <laughs> and uh, and we've tried to keep it that way. So I, I love right. when our customers come through um, our new shop and they tell us how clean everything is. I absolutely love that because. Mm -hmm. that's what we try to do. Like we make an effort to polish everything, clean the tops, clean the windows, clean the controls, yeah. floors. Yeah. Like we don't have nice white epoxy floors, but if we still get tons of compliments on how clean our shop is, yeah. um, cause that's what we do on everything. Like every little chamfer, we reject parts for bad chamfers all the time. You know, like we, mm -hmm. everything needs to be perfect. Right. Uh, and so we've tried to do that with the shop, we've tried to do that with the website, tried to do that with, every little thing we can. Wow. And so, um, you now have, you said four machines or five. Yep. Okay. We bought, so we have four and then, um, so this is like, we're starting to approach COVID. Um, yep. 
so we, I basically decided to, I need to get rid of the Miltronics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need a machine in here right away. So there was a VF4 available. Um, and uh, so we got that, but that was all we could fit in the unit. Um, Cause this, this first was unit still, was a thousand still the old unit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so right after that, the landlord kind of came to us um, about six, seven months later, COVID happened. And right. um, one of the businesses in like their largest unit was not a, like had to shut down, had to move out, couldn't keep going. And they um, basically said, Hey, do you want to look at it? And I was really hesitant um, because I, at this point I'd signed a two-year lease um, Got it. on the small unit. And so I was kind of looking at like, well, first of all, I have to sign a five-year lease. It's three times the space, but it's not only that it's a prime piece of uh, mm-hmm. property that has a front door and a garage. So right. it costs more. Um, so I was, uh, we kind of had to make this decision, like, do we want to keep growing or do we want to stay here for two years? Where we can't fit another, can't fit another person in here. Can't fit another machine. Right. Or do we kind of take this risk and, and move next door? And um, so that's, we ended up deciding to do that, built an office space in there and moved into our new building in 2020. Okay. Um, poured a bunch of concrete yeah Yeah, in the right in the middle of covid yeah okay (laughs) right in the middle of covid (laughs) but business business was good for us at that point like we weren't um we were not feeling the effects of covid at at too much at that point so um we had decided to um get into itar work and we had just got our iso at that point Mm. okay um and so we were starting to get some more contracts that were a little bit more stable Mm mm-hmm um, that weren't going to be super affected by COVID. Can we talk about your ISO for a second? Um, yeah. How did you make that decision? Was it to open doors to companies that wouldn't talk to you otherwise? Or It was. Um, and then, so at this point, um, I know you've read this because I've heard you mention it, the E-Myth. I've read the E-Myth. Um, I, at this point, I probably read that book and it felt like an easy way to pr- get procedures in place. Um, and so that's kind of what we did was we did ISO for business development to try to like have procedures in place. And it is a brutal, it is so hard at this point. We were a two man shop. So I had hired my first employee. And so to get ISO with two people is it's a nightmare because you got to like audit each other and you got to have him audit you. And right. Yeah. That's that's amazing. But two people. Okay. You continue to amaze me. All right. So you had ISO that, that did open the door. So you put that all of your website, I've, I'm sure. We did, right? but we didn't get much, we didn't get that much work for it right away. Cause at this point we had, we would have sold ourselves into oblivion if we had started selling it too hard. Um, so we put it out there um, and then we didn't push it too hard cause we were just so buried. So you were really busy still at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. But did it ultimately open some doors and allow some clients to work with you that wouldn't otherwise? I think it has. It's hard to say. I think what ISO's done for us a lot is um, it sounds like some companies have these uh, onboarding procedures Mm -hmm. and sometimes they let you skip the line if you're ISO. So instead of having to go through like this trial process and come out of your shop and look at your stuff, they just sign you up as a vendor. Yeah. Um, Cool. So I think so. It's hard to say. We've been, um, we don't have any way to kind of verify that i i I would say it couldn't have hurt it really helped our shop though like it helped turn our shop into a shop that cares about quality and delivery and 
in the way we do things more than, and that has definitely gotten us new customers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I'm, <clears throat> you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I definitely feel like you know, a lot of companies and even our own shop, you know, we got ISO and then AS originally to, you know, for business opportunities, but it does drive good business practices. You know, yeah. if you look at the statistics, companies that are ISO certified are more profitable than those that are not. And I don't know if there's causality or just, you know, correlation there. I think there has gotta, to be. Yeah. I got to believe when you have more standardized processes, you will be more profitable because um, you're not making as many mistakes and there you have yeah. continuous improvement processes and all those things. Right. Or even just a leg to stand on like, Hey, I know this machine is calibrated and this was the, the result we got. How are you measuring this? You know, sure. that's a, yeah. And then, and we've had that happen when they come back and they're like, Oh, well actually it was, you know what I mean? It kind of gives that right there could save you a ton oh, yeah. of money. Like I remember when we had some uh, gauges fail. I couldn't believe that the gauges would fail. Brand new thread gauges mm. would fail, and that's risky because then you're sending parts out, and who knows what could happen after that. Sure. Um, wow, fascinating. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, so then, uh, just to continue on the story, so you got your your VF two, your VF four. Now, so are you leasing machines at this point? Are you buying them, or how? Or like, so we're doing. Um, I don't know if leasing is the right word. We're, we're basically putting a down payment and then making monthly payments. So we're, we're financing right. them. Financing um, we're not paying for them in cash. Want it. Yeah. Yeah. With a, with a um, buyout at the end. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's no like dollar buyout. They're doing it just like you would a car payment pretty much where. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is an interesting conversation in itself, um, the whole financing topic. But, uh, uh, but right, so after that, we got the lathe. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't supposed to be like this. My grand plan had a five axis in our, in our shop much sooner. Like when I moved into this unit, I poured really big, expensive pads of concrete for a really big, expensive five axis. Mm -hmm. uh, but customer needs kind of, uh, this opportunity presented itself for a lathe. Um, basically yep. there's this part and, um, everyone that was bidding on this part was either too high or, and we kind of thought we might be able to make that if we had a lathe with a subspindle and a y-axis and so we'll pose this question to our customer um like hey we'll, we'll bid on this but we don't have a lathe mm -hmm. um and if we get it we'll buy a lathe within four weeks and have parts for you in eight weeks and that's what we did and it and it helped us both out because now at the beginning i couldn't i couldn't buy a lathe with just the hopes that work would come for it right so this got me enough work to kind of be able to sell the fact that we have a lathe um and so that's how the lathe came to be and then and then wow. next was supposed to be a five axis and okay. then we ended up buying two more vf2s uh to this last year just we needed more spindles you know right yep um and then uh and then we've had kind of a cmm debacle a little we uh okay. i tried to buy a really cheap used cmm get it refurbished and that didn't go well so i bought um are you familiar with the Keyence optical probes? Yeah. So we bought one of those and those just, it, it wasn't quite accurate enough for our, our needs. Um, yeah. And so we sold that and now bought a Michitoyo with a pH 10 and a mm -hmm. full scanning probe. So we're nice kind of set up in quality now, which we love. So what, what, what were your lessons learned from that debacle? You said like, don't try to skimp or what, 
like no because they were like in the same price i guess i thought so the key is so much easier to use it really is like running a cad package like if you know how to make a cube in a cad package you could use the cmm really well Mm -hmm. um but i've had a lot of these learning experiences just because i didn't i didn't know i've you know having never really been in i've never worked in a machine shop Mm-hmm. So never really thinking about these things, I'm kind of left on my own to try to make my best decision. And right. it's, there have been plenty of times where it was just the wrong decision. <laughs> and that's pretty much got it. the nature yeah. of it, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. There's, um, as you were just saying that, I, I flash back to some of our early years. You know, I was 22, 23 when we started our shop never having worked in a shop ever. Yeah. Right. Um, just a little bit of experience. YouTube wasn't really a thing back when I started my shop, but you know, we, we learned just enough, just enough to be dangerous, you know, in some of our, our school programs that, uh, um, but yeah, having like, like totally in our own little bubble. Yeah. Not knowing other shop owners, never having worked in a shop or just figuring it all out as we went just like sounds like you've been doing for these last yeah um, and so you're just bound to have a bunch of big expensive learning experiences you know <laughs> but you learn from each one you move yeah forward, you yeah better. yeah so we've had a lot of those <laughs> yeah so um i met i imagine um as you i mean growth that's pretty fast growth you know what you're doing um that's got to yeah. be tight on cash flow yeah, oh, man, just, that's been one of the hardest things. Yeah. Um, so cash just, flow. just, but you're just, obviously you're, you're still here. So you've been just getting enough work to, to pay the bills, put the down payments on new machines and just keep, keep going, you know, turn on those spindles, start getting more revenue from those machines. And yeah, uh, that has got to be one of the biggest, obviously growth eats cash. And um, yes. I remember, so we actually, in right before we moved, um, we started working with EGS, um, and mm-hmm. that's EBITDA growth systems. If anyone yep. doesn't know, so um, Mike, but, yeah, good friends of ours, good partners of ours. Yeah. So they came in and they, one of the, <laughs> this is almost funny, but basically we were doing everything cash. Like we had no terms with anybody except for on our customer side. So we're right. paying all material cash, all tooling cash. And then our customers were net 30. Right. 60 and yeah, um, we're lucky not 30. yeah well so <laughs> at that point we started working on terms and trying to actually think about things like cash flow and mm-hmm. and but it's a when you're we've had a lot of growth and it is just a the nature of the beast i think mm-hmm. um is yeah you know we, we kind of get flow it, i don't know how to, to what to say about it but absolutely that's been a challenge yeah yeah um yeah, it was for a shop. I know it is for pretty much every shop out there that doesn't yeah. start with a whole whack of cash, just which is not the story for most most shops. So. Yeah, it's weird. It's so crazy how it just it um, you really just see the flow. Like I had never even heard the term cash flow before uh, before right. doing all this, and um, it really is just it continues to blow my mind how you could go from you know five figures or something down to like the low five, you know, and it just right. back and forth. And, uh, yeah, just in a matter of days. And you really don't have that much control about it unless you find a way to extend your terms on your vendor side or get better terms on your customer side or, 
just mm-hmm. so what we're trying to do is we're really trying to um, we tend to take really large scope projects over like four or six, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so brutal. Um, do you ever ask for down payments or progress? We don't, um, we don't. And so, but to do, um, what we have asked is, can we do partial deliveries so we can deliver right. more than just once every eight weeks, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that on a big project. Cause that is just another, uh, variable right. to this cash flow. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I might encourage you. I know we did this from time to time. You know, if you have a good relationship with that client, yeah, you're like, you know, we're going to do this project for you, but we got to spend 20 grand out of pocket on materials up front. So yeah. Can we we have done that. Yeah. We, um, we have done it when there's a large material investment. Um, right. You know, we did a, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That can make, make or break a project. It's your ability <laughs> yeah. to deliver. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what, uh, I'm curious to know what your, what is the culture in your shop? Like, the culture yeah. in our shop is something I wish I had thought about a lot sooner. Um, okay. I, we, we've started looking at it this last year and we're trying to, uh, make it a huge priority. Um, I think that's one of the things I could have done better at early on. Um, and in the very beginning, it was just me. And then as people started coming along, I don't think I did a great job at building um, a great culture because I maybe was a little just grumpy all the time from working all the time. <laughs> and I think that didn't help at all, uh, sure. just to be honest about it. Um, and, but we're making a huge priority on that. So we're trying to get everybody together as a team once, twice, three times a week, talk about mm-hmm. things and make sure everyone knows this is a team effort. And it's not just um, everyone off working in their own department. And sure. um, so we're really, we're focusing on that a lot. So besides those meetings, uh, what other things are you doing? Are you like defining core values? Are you doing? We're starting to work on core values. Um, we haven't decided anything in stone yet, um, yeah. but we have been um, trying to look at that more in the hiring process. Just like, are they going to be a good fit with me and Tanner? Um, sure. And, you know, so what we're, what we've gotten to so far is, um, uh, willingness, open-mindedness and teamwork. Um, and that's where we're at so far. We haven't, but we haven't published it yet. So we we're working on it. We haven't gotten that. Are the EGS guys kind of helping you through that process? Oh, they absolutely are. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And, and so we, so at the very beginning there, we were, we were probably too small to be engaging with them. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm surprised and impressed that you would make that choice. I mean, it's, it's very forward thinking of you, I think. I don't know if it was, I read that book, the E-Myth and I just was almost crushed. Like I remember just being like, that is me. I am the perfect technician. The bigger the mountain of stuff to do, the happier I am. How have I not thought at all about the business? And then Mike (laughs) and Dave come in and I'm like, sounds like a plan. Um, but we were just, a little too small to actually do anything that they had great ideas and kind of got me thinking about this idea of working on the business instead of in the business. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it was me and one other person. So like mm-hmm. we couldn't, we couldn't track sure. time. We couldn't do all these things right. um, that they were suggesting because we just, we didn't have the resources. So we've re-engaged them uh, basically in the last month, um, knowing that we now can, put into action these ideas that they have. Right. So yeah, they absolutely are helping with stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, it's uh, I, I appreciate the candor that you're bringing to this conversation and clearly the humility. Like, you know, when I ask about culture and you're like, yeah, I didn't do a great job at that. You know, it wasn't a thought like my whole and it sucks because um, I, I think maybe. So at the very beginning there, I worked, you could probably count on one hand the number of days I took off in the first two years. You know, I slept there. I had a bed above my office. Mm-hmm. I was there 15 hours. I was just there all the time. It's hard not to kind of be to take every little thing personal, you know, and so I've, I'm trying to start working my way out of that. So that way I can be a good team leader instead of just like this kind of douchey boss. That's not what I'm trying to be. I want to be a, a good leader, not uh sure, you know, but coming from that, it's hard to maybe see other people's perspectives. You know, it's hard to see right. stuff like that. Wow. No, again, appreciate the candor. And I know people listening and watching this will really value that as well. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a huge priority for us at the moment. Yeah. I mean, as yeah. we, as we were talking about before we hit record, right. I think there's this, we're at this very unique moment in time where there's so many shops that were started by baby boomers or, you know, they took over their family business or whatever that are all hitting the retirement age and deciding what to do. And oftentimes closing their shops or selling off the assets, maybe selling it, but a lot of shops can't sell because they're not worth, you know, selling. Um, and there's a lot of younger folks like yourself that are getting excited about manufacturing, learning about it on YouTube or wherever, and just, jumping in with both feet. Um, but it's such a steep learning curve and, um, being humble about the fact that you and candid about, I'm just learning as I go. I, you know, where have I even, where would I have learned all these lessons before? Yeah. Cause I never worked in a shop. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's refreshing to just kind of hear your perspective on it. So I know tons well, of, I appreciate that. a lot of value from this. Um, what, uh, now that you're, um, you know, almost five years in sort of what, uh, what are some of the best decisions that you think you might've made along the way that helped you get to where you are right now? There were a ton. Oh my gosh. I, and then some of them were just like lucky, like there was this path or that path. And I happened to pick the best one. Um, you know, like moving into our new unit, that was critical. It gave us the space to grow into kind of like a fish you know, grow into the yep. size of their tank or something, something yep. like that. Yeah. Um, that was a big one. ISO was huge. Uh, Cause it laid the framework. We're actually um, our surveillance audit, our third. So we had our stage one, stage two, second surveillance. Yeah. This would be our, this would be our second surveillance audit this year. And so this year in July, we're actually going to do AS instead of um, just the ISO. Um, cool. So I think that'll be huge for us. Um, yeah, no doubt. And then, I would say kind of doubling down on technology has been a, a big thing for us. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we did sign up with pro shop and it's been huge for us, me. So I am literally the best technician ever and don't want to mess with any admin thing. All I want to do is run a machine and then I'll kind of just get the admin stuff done. And it creates a, a whirlwind of chasing our tail a little bit. And so, um, you know, having a good, right. ERP in place that we can kind of spread out what needs to be done. That's right. huge. That's been huge for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of these kind of small little things that have added up 
Sure. Um, list here so what um what are the metrics that you track at your shop you clearly seem like you have a very sort of scientifically minded approach to things so you must and obviously for iso you you know have to track metrics sure yeah we, we track on time delivery scrap rate um we're starting to work on time tracking um that's kind of uh, in a shop that does one or two pieces the we've been having a hard time kind of because sometimes you're working on a couple things at once, kind of mm -hmm. separating what you're working on has kind of been a, a mm -hmm. challenge there for us. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and of course, profitability and and uh, how much we're spending on material to a job. That's something we never could do before our sure. uh, ERP. And so that has been, it's just, it's so crazy how easy that is. <laughs> and, but we, so uh, EGS would have recommended we do that, but we just couldn't have put the time in. Um, of course, yeah, wearing Up too front. many hats. And so now we're, now we're yeah. kind of tracking that and getting a lot of insight into how our shop and actually how is functions. that how is that helping your decision-making about jobs, about clients, about projects, materials, whatever? What it's shown us, like one big thing that we've noticed is we can, um, in most cases, afford to buy two pieces of material. And mm -hmm. this whole time, we've just been buying one. <laughs> so mm -hmm. here's a big brick of aluminum. You've got one shot. We've found it's cheaper to have the other shot available and then just have the material on the shelf than have this downtime associated with getting more material when a, a mistake inevitably happens. Right. Um, like that was, that's been huge for us. Yeah, for sure. Has it, um, <clears throat> has it revealed to you certain, and maybe you're still not quite far enough along to really have the detailed nuance pictures, but like which clients are you know profitable or which types of jobs or materials or has it steered like you know the industries you pursue or the types of jobs you pursue it hasn't yet maybe okay. we're not yet um we do so we have decided to make a bit of a switch this year um so we're trying to focus on diversifying the type of work we do um because what we do right now is um not conducive to hiring really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're trying to get some level of production into our shop so we can have a path to becoming a machinist that works on these parts instead of just right. having to hire and kind of take a chance on, um, somebody who says they're a really good machinist. We want to have that kind of path in our shop. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have kind of noticed that, um, but not necessarily, no, we, we haven't gotten that far into it yet. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey. So it takes a while. Um, I'm curious to know, cause you know, especially since, uh, we had a, such a similar path at the beginning of our shop, are you transparent <clears throat> with your employees about the cost of jobs, you know, what you're charged for, you know, those kinds of things. We're starting to be a lot more, um, at the very beginning, I had, um, a couple in instances, um, when it was like just me and one other person, I mm -hmm. tried to be a little bit more transparent about things and it just mm -hmm. didn't end well. Um, and mm -hmm. maybe I didn't frame it in the right way, uh, but the kind of inevitable conversation kind of happened like, oh, you're billing this much an hour and you're paying me this much an hour. Mm -hmm. What? So why don't we even that out of it? <laughs> and <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure, sure. Which yeah, yeah. it's not that we don't want to um, pay our employees really good. It's just we're paying the rent and the material that almost always gets overlooked. Uh, but now mm -hmm. we've kind of gotten to a size where 
that's appreciated more. Like it's more obvious that, okay, all these machines are here. They're getting paid for somehow. The building we're in is getting paid for. The material just shows up when we need it. Right. You know, there's all these things that kind of don't need to be said that had to be really spelled out when I first started. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to be more transparent. Um, we're not to the point yet where we're sharing um, really intricate details of like our right. P&L or anything like that. But sure, sure. Have you, um, do you feel like that, uh, that there's more buy-in buy from people when they know like, you know, this material, this piece of, this chunk of material costs 5,000 bucks or, you know, whatever, right? Just. I'm not sure. Um, I okay. think one thing that is, so we have um, a tooling system, like a, uh, mm -hmm. a vending cabinet yeah. and that lists the price of the tool, which I really like. So okay. when they go and check out a tool, they know how much it costs. And I think that helps. I think it kind of makes people appreciate like, okay, there's a hundred dollar end mill. You're about to, right. you know, yeah. it'd be really nice if it could go back in the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, um, break it. Yeah. And so that I think is, uh, I, I, so I do think it's how it helps a little bit. I do think people um, appreciate that. And, um, mm -hmm. so we're trying to, you yeah. know, I mean, ultimately we made the call to, to share sort of PL, not every detail, of course, but you know, we had a monthly meeting and we'd be like, you know, this month we made 20 grand and the next month we lost 15 or, you know, whatever it is. And like, and was that received and, well? I think, yeah. I mean, people appreciated the transparency and um, really, and, and we would, you know, we would even, we'd go into like, you know, these are some jobs that went really well this month, you know, and, and we'd even have the employees talk about, um, you know, what went so well, like this one, you know, we did a great job quoting it, or we f came up with a new fixturing method. And, the, you know, they, instead of an hour of machining, we figured out how to make it in 34 minutes, right? Nice. Um, and celebrate those wins. And we'd do the opposite as well. It's like, you know, we lost our shorts on this job. Yeah. Right. And here's what we learned. We learned that we're terrible at titanium or this thing had a, you know, a flatness of two thou across 24 inches. Um, and we just didn't know about how to make parts flat, you know, or whatever. And it always, we always brought it back to process. Like, you know, we're going to change the way we quote jobs like this, or, you know, we are going to invest in some vacuum fixtures or whatever sure. it is. And like, we never, beat up the employees that were involved in a job that yeah. wasn't successful. We always came back to process. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and I do think, you know, and we also implemented profit sharing. So people, you know, very much were sort of aligned with, all right, we're, we're all in this together to try to make this venture as profitable as possible. Sure. Um, and knowing, yeah, that the, the end mill is a hundred bucks. You don't want to just crash it, you know, be yeah. a little more cautious. Go get another this, one. There's always an end mill. You know? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Just unlimited end mills that are no cost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, or this material is a thousand bucks a piece, you know? Yeah. Um, so we really got to be cautious about, uh, about watching our distance to goes and making sure we're not going to sure this hundred dollar end mill into this thousand dollar piece of material. I think people are starting to see that at our shop a little bit. Cause what we have, um, we basically have, um, the way we're treating heats and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. is the machinist can go pull up the PO and uh, add the work order to that PO. So they are now kind of seeing how much that piece of material costs, mm -hmm. whether it's just something that was found in a bin or something that we specifically ordered for it. Right. It's readily available there, just like it is for the end mill. Right. Um, and so I do think that is probably a good insight to have. Um, yeah. Maybe we should dig yeah. a little deeper. And when you have, when you, 
hire the right, if you hire people that like that care, right. That genuinely care about sure. the success of the company and the fact that you, you know, you personally have sacrificed so much and put so many, you know, th- tens of thousands of hours into making this venture go, um, you know, and can respect that, that they want to help, they want to help contribute to that. Right. Yeah. Especially if you have a good culture and the guy who did that's not salty, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how do you, we, we're getting close. We just start wrapping up here soon, but sure. how do you go about, um, finding employees, recruiting, making sure you're finding the right people, good fit, all those kind of things. So we are doing, um, just job ads. Um, I think what we're going to try to start doing is maybe start, um, well, we're, we're trying two new things. So we, we've kind of gotten involved with um, the local community college. Um, Tanner and I have been going down and um, we are on the uh, advisory board. And so we've been talking with the, uh, oh, good for the you. guy who runs that. He kind of sends some people <laughs> our way. Mm-hmm. And then um, we're going to take kind of the same perspective we do with the website in terms of getting customers to finding employees mm-hmm. um, and trying to sell why working at Priest is a good opportunity. Um, Instead of because kind of posting an ad seems to be kind of passive, mm-hmm, uh, especially the sure. last couple of years with the current kind of job market's been a little, been yeah. a little tough. At least that's our impression of it. Is it's been kind oh, of hard to find people. Everyone's impression, believe me. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. been. Um, it was well, so love, crazy pre-COVID shift. Yeah, yeah, I love that shift in thinking that you need to sell your company to prospective employees, just like you sell your services to prospective clients. I mean, that yeah, is so we need key. to be. Cause we have a lot to offer here. You could come work here and have um, a huge say on how, how things are happening at our shop, you know? And I think some people find that pretty attractive. Um, oh, absolutely. Especially the people are, that are the type of people that you probably want to attract that care, yeah. that want to help steer it in the right direction and not just be a, you know, you know, punch in, punch out for a paycheck. Right. You want right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, you know, I think there's a, this perfect person could also be like that too. You know what I mean? Like they show up and every second they're there, we totally, I've, uh, I respect a lot of people willing to kind of say, I'm, I'm not willing to just make this my whole life just because you have, it doesn't mean it's my, Oh, sure. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's my gig, you know? Of course. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're working on that. We're, um, you know, we, we hired, um, we're adding another team member. They start, um, I think in a couple of weeks. Um, and then we just hired another guy this last few months who's been starting on the weekend and we're kind of trying to groom him to be mm. running the weekend for us. Okay. Um, so you're so, running multiple shifts now. Well, I don't know if I'd call Starting it that because we have one guy on the weekend and me and Tanner on the weekend. Sure. Or, you know, we run seven days a week, but it's not a full yeah. shift yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you got it, baby steps, right? You got it. Yeah. Start. We're inching towards yeah. it. That's awesome. Um, so what would you uh, share as sort of your best advice to someone that's even younger in their journey than you are, you know, starting out a shop? I saw this question. And I was trying to think of how I, how I'd answer it. Cause I, looking back, I think it'd be easy to say like, oh my gosh, one of the best things I could have ever done would be to just buy one of these shops you're talking about, hmm. but that's not feasible. Right. Sure. If, Cause where I was at, I, I didn't have any money and I certainly wasn't going to be able to risk it all on a shop. And so I guess, um, the way I'd answer this is find a way to be just super passionate about what you're doing and to have that passion get shown in your work. You know, we've had 
I think that's what makes the difference between at least shops we're willing to work with. We, we outsource a lot of stuff and we can tell pretty much on the first project, if they're going to be a good fit um, mm-hmm. for us, you know, we care a lot about cosmetics, you know, obviously yeah. we're not making jewelry and we're trying to make money, but sure. But we care a lot about cosmetics. And I think that little things like that speak to kind of what you do. Yeah. And what your shop does. Yeah. And you even maybe to tie that back to, you mentioned that, you know, when you got ISO and started caring about quality that has led to more customers probably because of their, they're going to be a reference for you or they, they move companies and they want to do work with you at the new company because you were such a great vendor and beautiful, beautiful parts, good quality, you know? Yeah. Oh, quality and on-time delivery are just kind of like a given. You kind of have to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, ISO, so it's kind of interesting. We actually loosened up a little bit after ISO. Um, <laughs> because, so coming from where I started from, I had no idea what was acceptable as a part. <laughs> sure. And so my only thought was it needs to be this shiny. like, And basically I was getting like 16 finishes on every surface no scratches, like not a single little blemish of a scratch. Right. Everything needs, I, I'd see plus or minus five on there, but I'd think like, is it really plus or minus five? Like it basically needs to be nominal. And that's <laughs> kind of, yeah. but cause I didn't know, I'd never worked in a shop where it's like, it, it. it's in, yeah. you know, they put right. it on there and um, right. there's a reason for that. There's a reason they sure. put it on there. And, um, and not to say that we've loosened up, but we, we kind of were able to work within our procedures and build parts to print um, and then offer really a better service because we're not spending our time remaking a part three times. And it was in spec the first time. It just, <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, but it's, I mean, it, it share, it shows the, the passion you have and the care that you are bringing to the trade and to your, to the service you're providing your customers. And I know that's, that's, got to have been one of the secrets to your success. I think it has. Yeah. I think we've, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but set ourselves into kind of a little bit of a niche, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we, we don't just take every project that has definitely been a, right. A bit to our success, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Nick, well, this has been a, a, a blast. Um, again, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I hope I just, was helpful, you know. Oh yeah, no, undoubtedly. I mean, just the approach you bring, your passion, your humility for learning as you go, just your willingness to just jump in. Um, you know, we need thousands of more shop owners just like you to to because there's st- you know, in addition to that moment in time where lots of shops are sort of retiring or moving on, um there's such strong demand in North America, right? There's it's so huge. much onshoring. Yeah. There's just almost unlimitless opportunities. So absolutely. Um, yeah, if you can deliver something you. consistent, you just need to find who's going to buy that thing, you know? Yeah. So. so yeah, kudos to you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thanks for sharing. Well, thank you so much. Us. I really am stoked. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if people want to f- find out more about you, um, where should they reach out? Yeah. Um, you can, uh, Get through our website. Uh, it's machineandassembly.com. That's all spelled out. Uh, my email's nick at machineandassembly.com. Um, LinkedIn, shoot me an email. Okay, I'll Any make sure email. all those links are in the show yeah. notes. So they can Thank you so those. much. All right, Nick. Great talking to you. Great catching up. And uh, we'll talk to you again before too long. Right on. Thank you so much, right. Paul. Yep, take care.
All right. See ya. Hey, everyone. This is Paul again. So hopefully, uh, well, I'm pretty sure you will have enjoyed that conversation. It was just such a neat one with Nick. Um, I admire his perseverance, his grit, his just can-do attitude, uh, again, his humility. Um, it was just a really cool conversation. And as we talked about, and I think as hopefully all of you recognize, it is so important that we have hundreds and thousands of more people just like Nick that want to get into this business, that want to start a shop, that have the, the guts and the gumption to do so. Um, so if you know people like this in your, in your network, please encourage them, please support them, be a resource for them, uh, reach out and uh, provide support. It's just so important at this point in history that uh, we have kind of all hands on deck uh, to raise our industry to the, to the level that we need to, to fulfill all the demand coming uh, to the industry, to North America. Um, it's just so important. So uh, as always, thank you so much for listening and or watching wherever you're consuming this content. If you have enjoyed this or any of the other episodes, please think, please consider uh, leaving us a review, uh, a comment on Facebook, on YouTube, on uh, Instagram, wherever it might be. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you listen or watch. And thank you again so much for being a part of Machine Shop Mastery Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast. We hope you learned something that inspires you on your journey. You can find more episodes and information over on our website, MachineShopMastery.com. There, you can also apply or nominate someone to be a guest on the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, keep those spindles turning. <laughs>